Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. What's life all about? What's valuable about your life? What's significant about my life? Does your life, does my life have really meaning? You know, who am I? Where am I going? Where did I come from? What's my purpose? Who are you? How would you define your life? How would I define my life? We see here all the big questions in life are asked. The truth is, pleasure isn't the best thing life has to offer. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young starts his message, Is Pleasure the Answer?, and shares how you can fill your life with something even better and more fulfilling than pleasure. Stick around to hear that encouraging message. Now, here's Dr. Young with today's message, Is Pleasure the Answer? Narcissus is one of the classic figures in mythology. He was going home from a successful hunt, and he happened to go by a little pool of water, deep and crystal clear. And Narcissus looked in that pool and he saw his own image. And immediately he fell in love with himself. He thought, I've never seen any figure so beautiful, so handsome as that figure in that pool. And he walked over the edge and he looked at himself and he said, I'm more attractive than Apollo. I have more appeal than Bacchus. And he just couldn't take his eyes off his own reflected image. The only person who observed him was Echo. Narcissus was the son of a river god. Echo was a nymph, a tree nymph. And she watched him and observed him and couldn't take her eyes off of him and longed for his love. But Narcissus was so overwhelmed with his own appearance, with his own beauty, he could look in no other direction. He stood there for hours. He stood there for days. He didn't drink. He didn't eat. He became dissipated, and suddenly he began to be ill, but he wanted to embrace himself any more than he already had, and so he leaned over to go and hold the reflection and he fell in the pool and drowned. The only remnant we have is echo that you might hear, according to mythology, a little whisper of the beauty of Narcissus. Study the book of Ecclesiastes. The author is Solomon, King Solomon. He was a thoroughgoing, narcissistic person. No doubt about it. He fell in love with himself. He was number one in everything he was about. And ladies and gentlemen, we live in a generation 
that is absolutely filled with narcissistic people. And many of us are caught up in it. The millennials, 18 to 38, are generally thoroughgoing narcissistic young people. How do we know that? Facebook, <laughs> iPad, iPhone, Snapchat, Twitter, all these things in which they communicate with one another and all of us are caught up in the same trap. We're becoming more and more narcissistic than any other generation in history. I've been in a room with adults, just casual talking, and everybody in the room had out their phone or their iPad, and they were looking and talking all around the room. They were interested in somebody out there, over there, but had very little interest in what was going on at that place. Our young people are absolutely addicted, and it's a sad thing to observe that let me get my picture. Let me make sure that you follow me on Facebook and all the exciting, wonderful things that happened to me. I'm going to put them right out there in full view of the watching world that just waiting to see the people I've seen and the places I've been and the thoughts that I have. Narcissistic. We see it clearly in the study of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, this same Solomon who wrote Song of Solomon, a beautiful love story. This same Solomon who wrote the profound book of Proverbs, which tells us so much about relationships, life, marriage, business. Profound book, Solomon. What a tremendous guy. And you read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's hard to outline. It's hard to understand. You see so many levels there. First, there's a level of the culture of Solomon's day, and you see how he fit into that culture. And then there is the intellectual level you pick up in Ecclesiastes with, with some semblance of the Proverbs that you have read and were familiar with in the book of Proverbs. And then you see the meditations of Solomon. And once in a while, bang, he just sprinkles God in. Though he professed to be a searcher, though he professed to be a philosopher, though he professed to be someone who did not know about God and really wasn't interested in God at this moment in his life, he was totally a narcissist. But my, what happened to him? If anybody had a fabulous beginning in their life, it was Solomon. He inherited a kingdom from David. He was brilliant. He had everything you want. He was tutored and mentored by a God-fearing prophet. In the beginning of his life, re read about it. In, Turn with me, if you would, if you have your Bibles, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 3, and we read about the early, early years of King Solomon. Chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Now Solomon loved the Lord 
Isn't that great? Somebody says your name. Boy, that's somebody who loves the Lord. Then he says, he walked in the statutes of his father David. God-fearing man, he loved the Lord. He walked under the statutes, the principles of the commandments. But then it has one little word there. Except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. What happened to Solomon? He married a lot of princes from other nations in order to bring peace to Israel and to have alliance for military and for trade purposes. But as he brought these wives into the land, he said, bring your own religion. We'll find a mountain. We'll build an altar on that mountain. We'll burn incense to your God. It's okay. We're a pluralistic kind of people, but they were not. They were a theocracy. But nevertheless, he used the means to find peace and purpose in Israel to meet the end that was there. He compromised. The Bible says in other places that all of these wives turned him away from God. Turned him away from God. But what a wonderful beginning. And God visited him. And we see here in the fifth verse, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, get this. Ask what you wish me to give to you. Can you imagine God saying, what do you want? Blank check. You need anything? You have any dreams, aspirations? I'll give it to you. God. And look how Solomon handled that. It's, it's magnificent what he did. Verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. See the humility. I do not know how to go out and to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people that there are too many to be counted or numbered. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. Ladies and gentlemen, the most important thing that we need in life is the gift of discernment. If you don't have discernment, your life is going to say messed up from now till you leave this earth. Poor choices, poor decisions, poor relationships, not knowing exactly what to do. God gave the Solomon wisdom, and wisdom is expressed through discernment, and he was greatly gifted under the sun living. Follow me carefully. Solomon was the most successful man who's ever walked on this earth. Did you know that? In terms of human success, no one who has ever lived comes close to the success that Solomon had. And we're going to see by far he was the wealthiest person who ever lived and in some ways perhaps the most brilliant person and gifted person who had ever lived. And here God gives him the ability to discern. He gives him secular wisdom. And he received it with great humility. Can you have a better beginning than that? And as we study the book of Ecclesiastes, we've already went through the first chapter. We see here all the big questions in life are asked. Answers are not here but they're asked. 
Ecclesiastes is the only book in the Bible in which life is dealt with without God. The only one. So why it's there? Solomon is a philosopher. He is a seeker. He is a searcher. He forces those who read this book honestly and intelligently to face the big questions of life. For example, I could pick anybody out and say, stand up. I want you to tell me who are you? How would you define your life? How would I define my life? I heard a story that years ago, Andy Williams gave a concert in a rest home at the peep of his fame. And he sang beautifully and magnificently and all of those in that senior citizen home just applauded. They were thrilled. And he went up to one woman and the little lady said, sir, you need to go professionally. You've got great talent that the world needs to listen to. And Andy Williams looked at her and said, do you know who I am? And she said, no, but if you'll ask that lady at the desk, she'll tell you. <laughs> Profound question. Who are you? Who am I? Solomon. Solomon forces us to ask those big questions. And that's what we're going to be doing in the months to come as we go very slowly through this fabulous philosophical book. And as we receive answers in the book, as we're faced with the big, big things that make up our lives. Solomon was looking for it, I-T. What is it? He was looking for meaning. He was looking for significance. He was asking the question, well, what's life all about? What's valuable about life? What contribution can I make? What will give me happiness? What will give me meaning? And ladies and gentlemen, everybody here is looking for the same thing, though we may not realize it. What's life all about? What's valuable about your life? What's significant about my life? Does your life, does my life have really meaning? We looked in chapter one. Solomon gives a thesis for the whole book. He says, all of life is vanity. All of life is insignificant. He says, if you live your life as a, your life as a wise person, or you live your life as a fool, he said, it makes no difference. We're all going to die. He says, life is cyclical, just like Water is cyclical. He points to nature as cyclical. He said life is just cyclical. It repeats itself. He says there's nothing new under the sun. He's there. Therefore, he says life has no meaning, has no significance, has no value. And that's where he starts. Well, that's optimistic, isn't it? But you see, Solomon forces the reader to deal with the big issues of life that most of us don't like to deal with. We want to be surrounded by racket or activities or noise or hobbies or movement or people. But you read and study Ecclesiastes, it says, hold everything and presents the gigantic questions that all of us not only need to ask, 
but need to find answers to. Nothing more profound than who am I? Who am I? But Solomon doesn't give up. He says life's without meaning. It has no value. But he takes us through 12 chapters. And in the second chapter, look at what he says. He said, I said to myself, it's good to talk to yourself, isn't it? He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure to enjoy yourself and behold it, there's that little word it, and behold it too was futility. See, he's looking for it. What is it? Significance. What is it? Happiness. What is it? Meaning. Meaning in life. And then he says, I'm going to go through some situations here. I'm going to test everything that I can to see if in any one of these endeavors, I will find significance, happiness, and life. And he walks us through them. Why? As he walks through these, I hope you and I will walk with him. Because we get caught up in these same kind of pursuits. You know, what's it all about? You know, who am I? Where am I going? Where did I come from? What's my purpose? Will I make any difference that I live two or three or four score on this earth? And look what he says. He starts off and says, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And he already tells us in the beginning he tried pleasure. It was utility. But look at the pleasure. He said, verse 2, I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explained with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the Son of Man to do under heaven and the few years of our lives. He starts off with pleasure. Logical place, isn't it? I want to find meaning in life, happiness in life. Let's just try pleasure. He started off with humor, laughter. Some people like to fill their life constantly with laughter and humor, and you can't get serious a minute. It's almost a, a, a protective kind of layer. I like laughter. Man, I like having fun. I love pleasure. All of us do. But when we get so caught up in our own humor and our own cutting remarks in our own lifestyle. We're covering up for something. Solomon says, I just brought before my court gestures, comedians, and I tuned in anything that was hilarious and funny and different. And he said, I tried that. He said, it didn't satisfy. Then he said, I turned to wine. Let me say something up front. You cannot build, I think, a biblical case for total abstinence from the Bible. Did you hear that? I don't think you could do it. And I know the verses, little wine's good for the stomach. I know red wine's supposed to help our cholesterol that we all battle with. But I also know that Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Having said all of that, understanding alcohol was different in the culture of that day, let me say something. Solomon tried to find meaning in life through drink, through wine, through excessiveness. He said, I always kept my wits about me. 
A major problem in our culture today is alcohol. Make no mistake about it. You go to the prisons, how did you get here? Well, I was drinking. You, you go and you see tragic accidents on the highway. What was happening? They were drinking. And you go and see unwanted pregnancies. Well, we were drinking. And on and on it goes until you look statistically where we are with alcohol in America. Over 100 million Americans regularly drink alcohol. We have about 330 million citizens. Over 100 million regularly drink. Of those who regularly drink, between 10 and 12% will soon have a serious problem with alcohol. Ultimately, over 15 to 17% will have a problem with alcohol. Bottom line, 25 to 30% of the 100 million regular individuals who drink alcohol in America will have to deal with this seriously before they leave this earth. That is statistically straight and honest. It is a tremendous problem in our society. Make no mistake about it. Now, moving on from alcohol, now we have marijuana is coming to be. Well, what's wrong with marijuana? Let me tell you, you ask anybody who is a scientist who's looked at the brain, and they will tell you, Dr. Ben Carson told me as a neurosurgeon, he said it is a proven scientific fact that a child's brain is not developed until they're 28 years of age. And anyone who's participated in marijuana, your, main, your brain is going to be incapacitated radically for the rest of your life, different degrees for different individuals. You can book that. Now you move on to that. We've got opioids. That's just an epidemic among our young people. And now you look back on all of these addictions and all of these wine in the 21st century, and what do we have? For the second year in a row, Life expectancy in the United States has declined. Did you get that? Third world countries, life expectancy is increasing. Other developing countries, life expectancy is increasing. In the United States, the average life expectancy is slowly and now dramatically going down. Well, how can this be with all of our drugs, with all of our medicine? It is because this young generation is throwing their life away in so many arenas we can't even imagine it. Solomon followed this path of pleasure. He said, there's no pleasure in constant laughter. There's no pleasure in pursuing these in wine in his day and whatever the addictive things would be. And I would say that's true today. When there is emptiness, it has to be filled with something. And tragically, the younger generation and many of us are filling our lives with things that take away our happiness now and will shorten your life radically. That is absolutely true. So we look at Solomon and we learn from him. He said, I'm going to try pleasure. He said, I didn't find any meaning in pleasure. And then he says, I'm going to try projects. 
Surely I'll find meaning there. Look at verse four. He said, I enlarge my works. I will build houses for myself. Note the plural in all of these. And I planted vineyards for myself. I, I, I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them the kind of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate the forest of growing trees. Myself. In fact, in the first 11 verses, in the first 11 verses of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, he mentions I 21 times. <laughs> you think he wasn't narcissistic? Looking for it, meaning. He tried pleasure, didn't find it there. Boy, he tried projects. All of these things he did. He was a horticulturist, a gifted someone in agriculture. And certainly he built the temple. How long did it take for him to build the temple in Jerusalem? A magnificent edifice. Took him seven years. He also built his own palace. You know how long it took him to build that? 13 years. Oh, wait, 30,000 workmen. You see, he did it for myself. I'm going to build projects, put my name on it, get bigger and better and more, and maybe in this I'll have meaning, I'll have significance. My life will count for something. But he got through, he said, that's all vanity. Pleasure, you don't find meaning there. Projects, you don't find meaning there. And then he moved on, he said, I'm going to try something else here. I'm going to try wealth and possessions. Verse 7. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. He was the first ruler in Israel ever to make slaves of his own people, the first one. He said, and I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. You read about the number of animals that he had under his power in his, in his ranches. It's unbelievable. They're listed there, a lot of it in 1 Kings. And he said, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. He collected one year 666 shekels of taxes. Do you know how much that is? 25 tons of gold. You can take all the multi-billionaires in the world and put them together. They can't even touch the wealth of Solomon. The most successful man, the wealthiest man who's ever lived under the sun. And now he's trying to find meaning in life and he's running down all these traps and all these trails. He said, I didn't find it in pleasure. I exhausted myself there. I didn't find it in projects, all the things I built and constructed, eye candy for myself. And then he moves on. He said, I just hoarded things, things of value, property, gold, silver for myself. He said, I didn't find meaning in my great wealth. But then he said, ah, oh, this is where I'm going to find significance. And look at this. The latter part of verse 8, I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men Many concubines. Now he's going to fulfill all of his passions. He's going to find meaning there. And I'll tell you, do you know Solomon had 
700 wives, 300 concubines. He perhaps had the largest casting couch in history. <laughs> he exalted himself in sensuality. He became jaded, clearly. He found no meaning there. You think we are just discovering sex and our sexually saturated culture today and man, we're, this is a unique time in history? No, it's not. It's absolutely not. And somebody says, I am shocked at all the revelations we're seeing. They're casting couches in Hollywood and Washington, New York, Houston, all corporations, all companies, all neighborhoods, it's just popping up everywhere. We say, man, I, I am just stunned by all of this sensuality, by all of this that's going on. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we've been teaching for decades in our schools that sex is recreation. There's no moral connotation to it. We've been teaching that there's no absolute rights and no absolute wrong. We've been teaching that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and my truth is just as valid as your truth because there is no ultimate truth. Is anybody surprised? We have sown and now we're reaping. We have sown promiscuity and sexuality without any cost, any relationship. And now we're, we prayed for a crop failure, but now we're reaping what we have sown. And the amazing thing to me is some of those who had played roles in movies, some of those who said, you know, all this puritanical stuff, it doesn't work. They're the ones who are so upset about it. This is what happens in societies. And we're seeing it happening all around us today. Consent seems to be the only factor involved, doesn't it? That which was wrong five minutes ago, with consent of that person, it becomes okay. And we've taught our children that a little thin, little thin thing of latex will protect them from unwanted pregnancy and sexually transmitted disease which is a lie from any measurement of understanding. And we wake up and say, oh, oh, what's happening? This has been perpetuated in colleges and universities, now in junior high and high schools all around us. There's no absolutes. In fact, someone told me about an app that you can get. I'll not give you the name of it. And you can get this app and you can give all of the facts and figures about yourself. And it is an app not called this where hookups take place and you can trigger this app and you can discover if there's someone who's also signed up within a block of where you are or a mile, there may be two or three and all you have to say that I'm here and you're there and that's meat. That is right here today. Anyone could do it at this moment, and you'd find those of like mind right around the neighborhood. Solomon explored all of this. 
And he said, it's empty. You find no meaning, no significant. He said, that's not it. That's not it. I thought as I looked at this in the latter parts of of these 11 verses, Solomon, Solomon says, I was a great man. And he was. My goodness, he was. He said, I, I was filled with pride. He said, look what all I did. Man, trace his life. <laughs> Nobody's close. There's nobody in second place, ladies and gentlemen. You can't name them. He said, I was great. I had it all. And he expressed all of this pride. But he said, as I marched down every stream, tried everything, went through all the avenues, faced all the big questions. He said, I came out empty, void. He said, all of it has no meaning, has no significance, did not lead to happiness. Quite a testimony, isn't it? Maybe it'll awaken some of us who are going down some of those dead-end trails that'll take the life and the joy out of you, that will guarantee you'll never find meaning and significance in this life. And I thought about are there any modern-day Solomons running around? When Tom had won only three Super Bowl rings a few years ago, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes. I want you to look verbatim of something that what was said. He said, he says, I mean, I'm making more money now than I thought I'd ever make playing football. Kind of understatement. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still, listen, think there's something greater out there for me? Hmm. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what, there's our word, it is. Surely, you've reached a life that is meaningful. This is what it is. A lot of people would say that. He said, I reached my goal, my dream, my life is Tom Brady. But then there's the rest of the interview there, 60 Minutes. Brady says, me, I think, by the way, this is almost like a prayer. God, there's got to be more than this. And the narrator said, what's the answer? What's the answer, Tom? He said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I would say to this Solomon-like personality, it is not an it. It is Jesus Christ. Now, before we end today's program, Dr. Young is here in the studio to share more proven truth about the secret to true happiness. Uh, Dr. Young, many people who may not know Christ spend years seeking pleasure apart from God. What would you tell them about the abundance of happiness and life found in Christ? A lot of people through hedonism, pleasure, what makes me feel good, satisfying all the drives, all the glands of my life, we think, boy, this is really pleasure. The only problem with that is that it's at best temporary, and at worst, it continues to debilitate us, whereas if we're in on God's plan, God's agenda, 
as he has built you, as he has designed me, that is not only pleasure, but it is joy. And it is permanent. God's way works. God's way gives validity to life. God's way is thrilling. All other sensual stuff come and go. But I'm going to tell you something. God's grace, God's joy, when it exists in us, we'll discover that the pleasures of life are amplified. The beauty of life is put on display like never before. Simply stated, I'm a pragmatist. I'm a pragmatist. God's way, when we live it out, fills us with purpose, with completeness, with relevance, with meaning, and with joy. There's no higher pleasure than this. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.